It's the, it's the mark of the end of a section here in our narrative that we've been on for a while. Um, we are about to kind of transition here, but for the last couple of weeks we've been in this study. We have been talking about uh, these men, um, all of these men who have kind of been a nuisance or trouble to the throne. Uh, and in the last couple of weeks we've seen the end result of some of those men. And so this evening... We're going to look at kind of the last of these men before we transition into chapter 3 and talk a little bit more specifically about King Solomon and some decisions that he made when he became king. First Kings chapter 2, and we will be starting in verse 36 and going to the end of the chapter this evening. Boundaries. We love that word, right? We love the word boundaries. Well, actually, we don't. We don't really love the word boundaries because we, when we think of boundaries, many times we think of them as restricting our liberties, right? And uh, limiting us in some fashion. And that's the way we look at boundaries many times. And so we have to ask ourselves the questions, are boundaries good? Are they necessary? Are they just there to keep us away from fun? Is it wise to make boundaries for myself? Is it wise to set boundaries for my children? What does the Bible say about boundaries? What should be my motive in living within the boundaries that have been placed be in life? And what should be my heart in making boundaries? Well, hopefully we can shed some light on that tonight and maybe change the way that we look at boundaries in the Christian life. Now, unfortunately, when we say the word boundaries, most of us, myself included, kind of put a wall up. I'm not sure what it is about boundaries that breeds some sort of rebellion, right? When when there's boundaries there, uh, sometimes the human nature is to see those boundaries and then push them, right? Or test them to see if uh, they're actually there, if they're actually true, whatever it might be. I've seen that even growing up myself, boundaries that my parents would place on our family, and my attitude towards some of those. I've seen it at Christian universities, where the university has standards and boundaries that you have to abide by, and um, students, myself included, will sometimes question, if not complain, about those boundaries. Maybe it's in the workplace, where there are boundaries or guidelines that we have to abide by. So what is it about boundaries that gives us an attitude of thinking of them negatively and thinking of them as something that limits us or something that steals away our liberties? And we're going to look a little bit closer at that that truth, that uh, boundaries tonight, as we look at a man named Shimei. We've actually already talked about him before, if you remember back when David was on his deathbed talking to his son Solomon, and he mentioned certain men that Solomon needed to be aware of, and Shimei came up in that conversation. We'll talk a little bit more about that here in just a second. So again, just for sake of review, it's been a few weeks, but we'll just kind of go over this quickly. Here's the Old Testament timeline of Israel, and we're just seeing where we are at in that timeline when we look at the book of 1 Kings. Obviously, we have the patriarchs here, the time through the wilderness, the conquest, the period of the judges. And now, right here in this blue is where we are, the period of the kings. 
And we are underneath King Solomon right now. Started with King Saul, went to King David, and now we are with King Solomon. To get a breakdown of this, uh, if, if the Lord um, provides that we get to try, uh, look further in the book of 1 Kings, we're going to see a split in the nation. And we're going to start seeing multiple kings, one of the northern kingdom, one of the southern kingdom. But right now, the nation is still intact. Solomon is king. And that's where we kind of are in the line of the kings in that period of the kings as well. So what have we been learning so far as we've studied through 1 Kings chapter 1 and the majority of uh, chapter 2? Well, the first thing that we looked at right when we began the book was David's son Adonijah was the opportunist that tried to promote himself to be the next king of Israel. Despite God's clear will already, despite the king's wishes already. And we looked at how pride destroys the work of God. And how pride, when it gets in our life, is very disastrous. And the next week, we see that Nathan, the prophet, and Bathsheba come to King David as he is sick. And say, hey, did you, did you know what is happening here with Adonijah? And we saw that Nathan's actions in chapter 1, in verses 11 through 37, were an action out of a heart of loyalty. But not necessarily out of a loyalty to David, even though he was loyal to King David, but out of a loyalty to God. Nathan already knew God's chosen man. And we see all throughout Nathan's life and his decision to uh, approach David about his sin with Bathsheba and, and other things as well, how he's a prophet of God. His loyalty was in God and the words of God. And just like Nathan, we have to have a loyalty as well to God and to God's word as well. Carried on in chapter 1, and we saw Adonijah's lack of prudence. Now that one's going to come into play a little bit tonight. Our lesson on prudence. Adonijah should have known better, right? He saw his older brother Absalom do a very similar thing, and it end in disaster. And Adonijah should have known better. He should have had the caution, the foresight, to see where this type of action would have led himself and those who followed after him as well. But he, he lacked that prudence, and we saw that we have to develop a spirit that shows wisdom about potential outcomes. That's what prudence is. It's wise to have that in our lives, especially in decision making. We carried on into chapter 2, David's advice to Solomon. This is when he is on his deathbed. Kind of the last thing he says to his son Solomon, who's going to be the next king. And he gives him practical advice. He gives them specific advice. And he gives, them, uh, he gives him an example to live after. And so he gives Solomon spiritual advice. Follow after the Lord. He gives him specific advice. This is what you need to do with these men, Shimei being one of them. And then at the end of David's life, David ultimately had given Solomon an example to follow of a heart after God. We continued and saw Adonijah's end, and we saw the truth that God's will and God's plan needs to be greater than our will and our plan in our life. And that's a humble spirit that we need to develop there. We saw Abiathar's punishment. Uh, we saw the high priest, who for the most part had made the right decisions up to this point, completely get it wrong. And even if we've been saved for many years, even if we've been growing in the Lord, we always have to remember on a daily basis, we have to die to self. We're always susceptible to that temptation to live for self or to put our will and plan over God's. And we have to be very careful about that. And then the last time we were together, 
We looked at Joab's end, the captain of the army, who was also in on this scheme. And we saw that faithful service is always needed. Joab, Abiathar, Adonijah, they all missed out on how God is about to prosper the nation of Israel. They all missed out on God's leading and working underneath and in God's plan for the nation of Israel underneath King Solomon. They all missed out on that. And when our heart is after ourselves, our attitude towards service is all messed up as well. We miss opportunities. We're no longer, um, we, we miss future opportunities. We, we look at self and we look at what we can gain from an experience, rather who we can serve and going behind the scenes and doing that. And that's what we saw last time we were together. Faithful service is always needed. That brings us here this evening to 1 Kings chapter 2 as we see Shimei crosses the boundary that is set in his life. This evening we'll be finishing chapter 2. So we come to a man named Shimei once again. And if you remember, he was one of the men mentioned by David to Solomon on David's deathbed. So let's look at chapter 2 here this evening, and we're just going to read all 10 verses uh, here before we begin. 1 Kings chapter 2, starting in verse 36. And the king sent and called for Shimei, and said unto him, Build thee an house in Jerusalem, and dwell there, and go not forth thence any whither. For, for it shall be that on the day thou goest out and passest over the book Kidron, thou shalt know for certain that thou shalt surely die. Thy blood shall be upon thine own head. And Shimei said unto the king, The saying is good, as my lord the king has said, so will thy servant do. And Shimei dwelt in Jerusalem many days. And it came to pass at the end of three years that two of the servants of Shimei ran away unto Achish, son of Mekah, king of Gath, and they told Shimei, saying, Behold, thy servants be in Gath. And Shimei arose and saddled his ass and went to Gath to Achish to seek his servants. And Shimei went and brought his servants from Gath. Verse 41, And it was told Solomon that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and was come again. And the king sent and called for Shimei and said unto him, Did I not make thee to swear by the Lord? And protested unto thee, saying, Know for a certain on the day thou goest out and walkest abroad any whither that thou shalt surely die. And thou sayest unto me, The word that I have heard is good. Why then hast thou not kept the oath of the Lord and the commandment that I have charged thee with? The king said, Moreover to Shimei thou knowest all the wickedness which thine heart is privy to. That thou didst to David my father, therefore the Lord shall return thy wickedness upon thine own head. And King Solomon shall be blessed, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. So the king commanded Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, which went out and fell upon him, that he died. And the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. So as we continue into the final verses of 1 Kings chapter 2, we see a character in our narrative who've actually already talked about. And to start this evening, let's take a brief look at Shimei and who he is. Just a brief bio of his life, all right? So we're going to go back um, into 2 Samuel for a little bit of this and understand who he is and understand what got him to this point and the reason why Solomon put this boundary in his life. Really, he comes on the scene in 2 Samuel chapter 16. We see that he was the son of Gera and he was related to King 
Saul. Um, he was distantly related, but also a supporter of King Saul, of, of King Saul's clan when King Saul was king. Very strong supporter of that king of Israel. And uh, that's really important, and initially we have to understand that because that is going to lead to his next actions that we see in 2 Samuel chapter 16. So what happens next? During the time that King David's son Absalom rebelled and tried to take over the kingdom, King David was on the run, and David and his men come near Bahurim, where Shimei sees them. Remember, he's a supporter and relative of the former King Saul who died in battle. And as Shimei sees them, he comes out to these men traveling and fleeing and begins to pick up rocks and throw them at the king of Israel and his mighty men. Shimei has either lost his mind or thought he could take on all of these men. Undoubtedly, Shimei thinks at this moment that David's reign was over or he wouldn't have acted this way. So get the picture here. Shimei sees the king of Israel fleeing with his mighty men and he thinks that the best thing for him to do is not let them flee, not go tell Absalom where they are so that Absalom can overtake them, but to start picking up rocks and hurling them at all of these armed men, David's mighty men, his bodyguards surrounding him, and throw them at King David. Think about it, royalty and his bodyguards. And he is throwing these stones at them and he's cursing at them. We can't even really imagine going on in Shimei's head at this point. Now we have a lot of people who may be vocal about President Trump today and vocal about their dislikes about him. And uh, for the most part up to this point, there have been, there hasn't been anyone that I know of see President Trump and all of his bodyguards and start hurling stones at President Trump. Probably because most people have a mind about them that it's not going to end well for themselves if they were to do that. But Shimei didn't realize that. And the only thing that I can think here is that he thought King David was done. But in a second we're going to see that it's not. And Shimei has to come back in a very humble spirit. It's the only thing that he really can do. And come back and apologize. And instead of turning King David and his men over... Out of the hatefulness of his heart, he picks up rocks and hurls them at these men. We see that in verses 5 through 6 in 2 Samuel 16. But not only was he hurling rocks, but he began to curse at King David and these men. The account in 2 Samuel 16 doesn't end there, however. King David specifically is the brunt of what Shimei is doing here. Shimei called David a bloody man. And he blamed David for the death of his family member and king, Saul. He blamed it all on David. And uh, after all, many people took Saul's side uh, during that time and saw David as a threat, as a threat to the throne rather than God's chosen successor to the throne in God's perfect timing. So many people probably jumped on Saul's side and saw that King Saul's Ruin was in part because of King David. So that's Shimei's spirit here. He is blaming the death of King Saul on David. Now Shimei has this completely wrong as well, right? 
He's completely wrong. Again, Shimei believed what he wanted to believe. This was not a punishment for David's role in killing King Saul that he was running from his son Absalom. It wasn't a punishment for King David's role in Saul's death because King David didn't have a role in Saul's death. Shimei had it completely wrong. But he's hurling these accusations at King David, and that's where his heart is. And Shimei did not just see David one day on the way to Behurim and say, oh, he looks like someone I would love to throw rocks at. This is someone who did not support David as king. David has been king. Absalom is trying to rebel now. And Shimei, for the major- all of David's reign, has not supported him. That is the man that overthrew King Saul. King Saul is dead today because of David. And he never supported that. And so as he sees King David, that hatred boils over. He hurls rocks at them. And he shouts out these curses. And no doubt, Shimei not only did this at this instant, but instance, but also vocalized his disdain for King David to other friends and family members as well. And we can probably say that because complainers always find people who will listen. And people who will listen are often complainers themselves. And so Shimei probably had his little group of people that did not agree with King David being the king of Israel. Even though King David is one of those kings in Scripture where we don't even doubt God's hand on him. We don't even doubt God, his will to have David the successor. But Shimei was against that completely. It continues... And again, his spirit here is that I'll never have to answer for my action right now. But lo and behold, three chapters later, this this rebellion of Absalom has ceased. King David is now sitting on the throne again. And Shimei returns like a dog with his tail between its legs because King David is back on the throne. He is the king of Israel. In 2 Samuel 19, verses 16 through 17, Shimei comes to King David and apologizes. And you can imagine, Shimei had acted as if David would never sit back on the throne. He throws stones at the king and curses at the king. And as time goes on, David sits back on the throne. And Shimei must be thinking to himself, what I did was treason. King David is back on the throne. And any day now, soldiers will be at my door ready to take me, if not kill me, for what I did. After all, when he did those things, when he threw stones and when he cursed, remember what David's men wanted to do? Take him out. But David had mercy and said not to. So here comes Shimei to King David on the throne and says, Hello, King David. Um, Do you remember a misunderstanding, you know, a while back? Uh, I, hope we're, I hope we're on the same page here. It was a misunderstanding, uh, and, I, and I apologize for it. And, uh, and, and really, in fear of his life, the only thing he could do was accept the fact that King David was king of Israel. And to save his life, he apologizes for his action. And we see that taking place in 2 Samuel chapter 19. And David has mercy on him once again and says, I will not touch your life. I will not kill you. And... So this is what we see uh, throughout the life of Shimei. And then lastly, and we've looked at this already in chapter 2 and verse 9, 
As King David is on his deathbed and King Solomon's about to rule, King David has some advice for Solomon, and a piece of that advice is this. Solomon, there's a man named Shimei. Don't treat him like he's an innocent man. He's not. And um, that's his advice to Solomon on his deathbed in 2 Kings chapter 2 and in verse 9. So that's this man that we're talking about. That's Shimei. And he comes back on the picture here in our text in 1 Kings chapter 2 and in verse 36. So that's the bio. Then we get into the boundaries that, is, that are given to Shimei in verses 36 through 38. <clears throat> the first thing that happens is that after taking care of Adonijah, Abiathar, and Joab, Solomon sends for a meeting with Shimei in verse 36. So this brings us to our passage. This man needed to be watched. He needed to be held in check. So we open our passage. Solomon calls for Shimei. Solomon had remembered his father's words before his father died and had to make a decision on what to do. And finally, he reaches a conclusion and summons for Shimei to come in verse 36. Then Solomon places a boundary in Shimei's life. <clears throat> and that, this boundary was solely for Shimei, not any other person in Israel at this point. That boundary is seen in verse 37. Shimei was to move from his home city and move within the, in the city limits of Jerusalem. Shimei was not allowed past the book Kidron, which really bordered the city on one side. And I have a question for you this evening. Was it a sin for someone to leave the city limits of Jerusalem? People did it all the time, right? Without even thinking about it. It wasn't a sin for an Israelite to leave the city of Jerusalem. I think that's interesting because many times boundaries in our life we don't understand. Many times, boundaries in our life, we can't point to a verse. For instance, if you're at a Christian college and uh, they have specific boundaries that you have to live by or at work, whatever it might be, you're not necessarily going to point to a verse in Scripture. It's not a sin to do that outside of that environment, outside of submission, underneath those leaders that God has placed in your life. But it would still be a sin to break because those leaders have put those boundaries there. And that's what Shimei finds himself in um, this evening in, in chapter 2. There was nothing wrong with the other cities in Israel. Yet Shimei is told he cannot leave the city. Sometimes we have boundaries that have been placed in our life because of our past failures as well. And that's really what's happening to Shimei. When it comes to boundaries in our life, many times boundaries are placed in our life because of our past failures. And so when you really struggle with a sin, a specific sin, you may have more boundaries in that area than someone who doesn't struggle with that at all. And that's what's happening in Shimei's life. There was an obvious problem with this man talking about stirring up trouble against the, the throne, against the throne of Israel. And Solomon says, we're going to make it easy on you. We're going to take you out of that environment. We're going to put a boundary on you. We're going to watch you. So now you're far away from even being tempted to do that again. And you could think of it this way as well. Maybe it's within a, a family unit and a wise parent will sometimes set 
Custom boundaries is what I like to call them. Custom for each child, right? There are some children that struggle uh, very, in various ways, but they're different. And maybe it's in a certain area um, that involves an electronic device, whatever it might be. And so one child gets boundaries placed on that electronic device, while there might be another child that doesn't struggle with that at all. They're custom boundaries. And our spirit towards them, when they're placed in our life, is like, well, how unfair is this? They don't have this boundary. Shimmy, I could have said that. My other families don't members don't have this, this boundary. And we look at it as limits, limiting and taking our liberty and unfair when at the root of it, that boundary is really there because of our past failure. And it's really our own fault that that boundary is there. And that's what Shimei finds himself in. Many of our boundaries have been placed there because of our previous failings and tendencies. And that is a good thing for us. It is a helpful, it is a needed thing. When we, when we really see it as our fault, we start to see boundaries a little bit differently. And so this boundary is placed there as a result of Shimei's previous actions. This was a common practice for someone being watched for treason. Now, the more common practice was that he wouldn't have even been alive right now uh, for treason. But if, if that wasn't the case, if his life wasn't lost, then we would all agree this evening, and people back then would agree, it was wise to keep an eye on this person. It was wise to keep track of his doings, of his movements, of what he's spreading around, of what he's saying. And so that is what Solomon does uh, in, in his wisdom here and how to handle Shimei. So Solomon tells Shimei that uh, as long as he stays inside of the boundaries of the city of Jerusalem, his life will be safe. And he can live to his fullest there in the city. But if he crosses over the boundary, he would be put to death. And we see that in verse 37. So Solomon located Shimei in Jerusalem, likely to keep an eye on him and take him away from stirring trouble with his kindred and taking him away from his hometown to a new place where he would be a stranger. It's interesting to see that if you look back at Shimei coming back to David and apologizing, Shimei brought a thousand Benjamites with him. And that shows me some leadership. That shows me some impact. And so when Shimei stirred up trouble, it wasn't just eight family members. Shimei stirred up trouble in the part of Israel that was Benjamin. And so that is who this man is. And so Solomon takes this leader and leading up and stirring up trouble. And he takes him out of that environment to keep an eye on him right there where the, where the kingdom is, uh, where the palace is, so that he can have men keep an eye on this man. I see one more thing key about these boundaries here uh, that I think it's important for us to see as well. Solomon made sure Shimei knew the reason for the boundary. All right, it's clear in Shimei's response. He says, this is good, this is fair. And I, you, you can see in his response, he understands the reasoning why Solomon is bringing him in to this boundary in Jerusalem. He understood why Solomon was making the boundary in verse 38. Can I stress to you that, yes, it's important to develop boundaries for yourself and for your children and your family. And maybe a better way to say that it's important to make the right boundaries in the right ways. 
but we better be ready to tell the reason why. Because it's good to have boundaries in your life and you need them and you need them in your family's life. But sometimes you have all boundaries and we lead generations and generations with all these boundaries without ever telling them why. And without them understanding why we don't do this. Why we don't go there. Why this line was made. And whether or not that is something that is specifically from uh, something that's applied here, we have to realize that it is a logical, wise thing to do to help them understand. It is something that, yes, you do need those boundaries. We're going to talk about the reasons why here in a second. And it's good to set those boundaries for people that are underneath us in life. But we also have to realize that it's also very helpful to help them understand why. To help them understand there's a bigger picture here than this boundary that you're looking at. We have a goal here in our family. We have a goal here in your life. And that is to serve God. That is to grow in Him. And so it's important to understand many times the reason and and share the reason for those boundaries as well. So the boundary is given to Shimei. He has to relocate. That's exactly what he does. He relocates to Jerusalem. He is living within these boundaries, but then the story takes a turn. This narrative takes a turn in verses 39 and 40. Shimei justifies crossing the boundary here. The conversation took place. Shimei agreed to it and even felt that it was fair, and Shimei relocates to Jerusalem, and we really hear nothing about him until three years later. Three years passed and Solomon put this boundary in Shimei's life and Shimei's servants ran away unto Achish. At this point, Shimei is faced with a decision. And it's amazing to me that it took really three years for this to happen. Uh, I think there is some props to Shimei here in, in this aspect because when boundaries are placed in our life, Usually it takes a lot less than three years for us to start pushing back up against them. Three years later, we see this take place here. And most people can't stay within boundaries for very long because they have a wrong outlook towards them. But his servants run away, and they run away across the book Kidron, which was the boundary that was set in Shimei's life. And here in verses 39 and 40... Knowing the boundary that it had placed on him, that he had consciously kept for three years, not by accident, Shimei crosses the boundary to go and retrieve his servants. You have to ask yourself, what was Shimei thinking? I mean, when your life is at stake, you would think you would react with a little bit more caution, right? I don't think that Shimei had forgotten that the consequence for breaking this boundary was his life. And yet, instead of exercising, exercising prudence, like we've talked about in the past, caution about this decision, when his life was at stake, he crosses the boundary anyways. Perhaps he thought after three years, Solomon had forgotten. Perhaps he thought he would be gone and back before anyone even noticed. Perhaps he thought Solomon would understand. These are his servants. He's going to retrieve them. He's not doing anything against the throne. He's not pushing back against Solomon. But what should have happened was Shimei should have went to King Solomon and explained his situation. 
before breaking that boundary. That act would have shown submission to a boundary and the authority that placed it there. Talking through it. Understanding why. And I'm sure King Solomon would have said, I'll go retrieve those servants for you. But instead of having that submission to that boundary and that authority, for whatever reason, he crosses that boundary and he breaks it. Contrary to popular opinion, boundaries were not made to be broken, right? Boundaries are made for different reasons. We're going to look at those tonight. And in Shimei's case, this boundary was made because of his past decisions. And so that he could be held accountable and not fall back into starting trouble with those around in his hometown. And so when you're Solomon looking at this instance, instead of having a man respond submissively to a boundary that you set for him and coming to you with this situation that he is in with his servants running away, he goes over the boundaries, he goes over the head of the authority figure that put those boundaries there, and he breaks it anyways. And we see that the rest of the story is Shimei pays the consequences for breaking that boundary. Shimei does not go unnoticed, unlike he might have thought uh, would happen. He was being watched, and there in verse 41, word gets back to King Solomon about Shimei leaving Jerusalem. Shimei had returned from retrieving his servants, and Solomon sends for Shimei. Shimei undoubtedly knew the reason for Solomon calling for him. It happened right after he had returned. But again, maybe he had gotten used to the mercy that had been shown to him for his evil works so far. King David showed him mercy, spared his life. King Solomon showed him mercy by sparing his life and allowing him to live there in Jerusalem. And perhaps as Shimei is coming before King Solomon, he thinks he's fine. I mean, I've already been shown mercy. King Solomon will understand this specific instance And I've already received this mercy. I'll probably receive it again because of what has happened before. And Shimei may have convinced himself that he did nothing wrong. He might have convinced himself, yeah, I broke the boundary, but I did it for a good reason. My servants ran away, and King Solomon will understand that. Many times we look for loopholes or exceptions in the boundaries, right? We become very good at finding the openings in the boundary fence and good at pushing the limits of the boundary. After all, this boundary is causing, is costing us our freedom and our liberty. We must be missing so much on the other side of that boundary. Shimei comes before Solomon. And as Shimei stands before the king, Solomon reminds him of the boundary and of the consequences for breaking that boundary. Shimei is before him, and he says, Shimei, do you remember three years ago when we made, you made this oath to stay in Jerusalem? And do you remember that I told you if you broke that boundary, it would cost you your life? And before you left and did that and, and relocated to Jerusalem, you told me that it was good, that you agreed, that you would do it. So why did you go back on this oath? And he begins to question why in verse 43. Solomon reminds him of the wickedness that he had done to his father David. As well, those many years ago in verse 44. See, what Solomon is pointing out in Shimei's life 
is this. Shimei, going all the way back to my father, King David, there's been a heart problem with you. You have pushed back against authority. You pushed back against the king of Israel. You pushed back against me. I relocated you here. You pushed back against that boundary that I set in your life. Solomon calls for Benaiah in our final verse here in chapter 2. And we know Benaiah well. He comes up. He's been uh, great parts of this narrative already. And at this point, we could almost call Benaiah the executor. And that's what he does here. Solomon sends him to kill Shimei, and that's what happens. It never works out to cross and to break boundaries that are placed in our lives. It literally did not work out for Shimei. He lost his life. But in our life, it doesn't end well either. It doesn't work out when we cross over boundaries that have been placed in our life. So what is our timeless truth this evening? Submission to boundaries and wisdom in making boundaries is needed today. Probably today more than ever. And so as we conclude, I want to, I want to um, apply this to our life in two different aspects. Our attitude towards the boundaries that are placed in our life. And seeing the wisdom and prudence in making the right boundaries for our family, for our children, for our own life. And those right boundaries can be made. And they can be very effective in the overall goal of the Christian life. So let's look at this a little bit closer. Let's define boundaries. A boundary is making a distinct line or guideline for specific areas of life. One side of that line marks what you can do, and the other side of that line marks what you cannot do. That's a pretty basic definition of a boundary, right? Several weeks ago, we looked at the timeless truth about developing prudence. Here is where prudence is put into play by recognizing potential dangers, dangers and setting up our boundaries personally. And you're never too young to set up personal boundaries that will help you in the Christian life. Some of us are in a position where we need to set boundaries for others underneath us as well. A wise person will look at life with caution, but a fool will have no boundaries and no limits. Foolishness, there is foolishness in a lack of boundaries. Proverbs 14 puts it this way in verse 16, a wise man feareth and departeth from evil, but the fool rageth and is confident. That word confident can mean reckless. There's no boundaries. There's no limit to what they will or will not do. The verse right before it puts it this way, the simple or the fool believeth every word, But the prudent man looketh well to his going. Takes wisdom, takes caution in the direction and what they allow in their life. So a fool has no prudence and nothing set up in their lives to help their direction and to help them from falling into sin. Without boundaries, society would fall into absolute chaos. Without limits and boundaries and guidelines. A lack of boundaries for your life is not necessarily a positive thing. A lack of boundaries for your family is not necessarily a helpful thing. Don't get me wrong this evening. I'm not saying that you should have so many boundaries to the point where you can't even move from side to side in life because the boundaries are right here. 
That's not how God has designed these boundaries to work. There is liberty and there is freedom to walk the Christian life inside of these boundaries. And these boundaries are on the sides, not even in view, because our focus is on one goal. So don't get me wrong, I'm not saying to create a set of boundaries that shelters someone or shelters your life and to not even reaching out to other people or reaching the lost or anything like that. But I am saying this, Proverbs talks regularly about a man who isn't prudent and cautious about his steps and his goings and his standards. And so it it really is foolishness if we have a lack of boundaries. But the opposite of that is this, there is wisdom in making the right boundaries and making boundaries that help with one goal that we're going to talk about this evening. We've defined, uh, we've defined boundaries this way. The wise, on the other hand, see the wisdom and the importance of setting up guidelines for the purpose of helping us keep our main goal in mind. So let's talk about that main goal. Understanding a Christian's purpose. And we have to take some time to do this just very briefly to understand boundaries a little bit better. We've defined boundaries, but it's important to look at life as a whole to truly see the importance of the right boundaries. If you're a believer this evening, our lives are not our own anymore. Our purpose to live is to glorify God and to serve Him and to live in a way where we can hear one day, well done, my good and faithful servant. That is our goal. That is our purpose. That is a broad view of that goal and purpose. If we were to get more specific uh, and not as broad and dissect that, you would see that it entails having victory over sin, not falling into the same sin over and over and over again, being a light to the world around us, obeying God's command in Scripture, living submissively to authority. And we can see all of those small, those dissected things, but all of them are under one goal, to live for God to live pointing other people to God and growing in Him so that one day at the end of our life, God can look at us and say, well done, your life was well lived for me. That's our main goal. So as we look at that, we have to understand that the right boundaries help us accomplish just that. Boundaries can be a great tool in our lives. And some of, we have to have the wisdom and the humbleness to even make those for ourselves, and especially if we're in a position to make them for others as well. I was talking about this topic, this passage of Scripture with my dad over the break uh, about a week ago. And uh, we were talking back and forth and talking about boundaries, and I was asking him what were boundaries, uh, specific boundaries in his life that he's had to deal with, and I talked to him about some boundaries in my life, and we were talking through some things. And my dad, being a a veteran, being in the Navy in the past, told me this illustration, and I have to uh, make sure that I I quote him, that this story came from him. Um, And he gave me the illustration of a ship and the commander of that ship. When you're on a ship and you're out to sea, and my dad did this multiple times, I asked him how long it would take to get across to Europe, and he was like, oh, sometimes we didn't see land for three weeks and things like that. And uh, I asked him, I was like, man, your mind really starts to wander and, I mean, just get really dissatisfied with that, right? All you're seeing is the ocean and water for day after day. You probably lose 
sight or knowledge of what day it is, what time of day it is, and all these different things. And he said yes, and I was like, did you have guidelines on the ship that you had to um, make sure you stayed within those boundaries? And he was like, yeah, absolutely we did. Obviously, we couldn't jump overboard, right? Those railings on the side of the boat were there for our safety. That was a given boundary. We're not just going to jump overboard. Uh, We had boundaries on how we had to do things and guidelines for how our bed was made and, and different guidelines when we were on watch and things like that. And he's describing these boundaries to me. And I said, man, I mean, when you're on the sea for that long, for three weeks, day after day after day, does the thought cross your mind to break those boundaries? I mean, does the thought cross your mind, man, I have not seen land in almost a month. Can I just jump over for a swim for 30 minutes or whatever it might be? And, and I love the way that he answered my question. He was like, he said, Joe, the, I, the, the job of the captain on the ship is to make sure the crew members know the main goal, the main mission. We are traveling across the sea to help out in these nations over here, whatever specific nation it was. We had one goal in mind. He said, Joe, the commander pushed that goal so much, we didn't even really consciously think of the limitations we had on the boat because we were so focused on that goal. And then we were talking about the family unit and in our own lives and all of these things. And we were talking and we said, you know, when we look at boundaries, isn't that a good picture of what maybe the family should look like? You have parents in the family. You have children in that family. And sometimes in the family unit, what we see is children being so focused on those boundaries, why they're there and those limitations. When if parents were in a position and just kept the main goal and the main focus, the priority, and reminded those kids on a daily basis, this is why we do it. This is where we're headed, kids. This is, this is what God wants us to do. Then at some point, those children, obviously they have their own free will, but aren't even focused on those limitations anymore. They're focused on that goal. They're focused on that main purpose in the Christian life. Can I encourage you this evening, believer, to keep the main goal of life in view when making boundaries for yourself? But can I also encourage you that when it comes to boundaries being made in your life or making boundaries for others in your life, have the main view of serving God and serving Jesus in view. Because when you have boundaries placed in your life, it's going to be easy to look at the limitations, to look at the personal liberties you have to give up for those boundaries. But when your heart is on the main goal, that's not your focus anymore. That's not what you're negative about anymore. That's not your main concern. So can I encourage us to understand a Christian's purpose? It's important to understanding boundaries because making the right boundaries means making boundaries biblically that help for that main purpose and that main goal. Sometimes they are custom made for an individual to better have victory over sin in that area. Sometimes they are, as a whole, family unit. We're not going to do this for the sake of this purpose, for the sake of this goal. So we've kind of already touched on these things, but reasons for boundaries. And if we understand the reasons for boundaries, and this is not exhaustive at all, but these are some things we see in Scripture and even from our narrative here this evening. One of the reasons for boundaries is safety. 
Proverbs 14, 12 talks about that. Safety from the results and the consequences that would happen if we crossed over those boundaries. They're there for safety. They're there to help us with sin areas we struggle with. James chapter 3, 1 through 4 talks about uh, those sin areas that we need to have victory over. And boundaries can help when they're placed in our life. And you don't even have to wait for a parent or someone over you to put that boundary in your life. You can make that decision for yourself. Man, I'm struggling with this sin. I'm going to make this line right here so that I don't even get close to falling into that again. And it helps us in sin areas that we struggle with. It unifies people. Hey, sometimes boundaries are there and we don't understand why, but we keep them for the sake of unity. You know how important unity in the body of believers is to Christ, is to God? How many times it's mentioned in the New Testament? For nothing else, for the sake of unity, keep those boundaries. For the sake of having a, uh, a system where everybody can dwell under in a school or whatever it might be. That's what boundaries can help with. It keeps us a distance from the things that God hates. Hey, that's a positive, right? Stiff-arming evil, stiff-arming the world. It keep, these boundaries now that we set up, if they're the right boundaries, they're going to keep us a distance from those things that God hates, those sins. Helps, us point, helps point us in the right direction. When you have the right boundaries in your life, and, and when you've set the right boundaries for your family, let's say the boundaries go around the, the opposite sides of this wall, but really what it's doing is helping me look this way and not wandering off that way, but it's giving me the boundaries of liberty and freedom in the Christian life to do God's main purpose for my life. It gives us direction. It gives us the boundary lines for that direction and how and what to do in our lives. Helps us stay aligned with God's word. That's important, right? Psalm 119, 9 through 16, really the whole chapter says so much about God's word and God's law and God's commands. These boundaries, when they're made right, they help with safety, they help us with sin areas that we struggle with, but they also should help us stay in alignment with what God teaches about life, with what God teaches about certain areas, with God's commands and how to live in those situations. And it helps one live ultimately wisely. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4 talks about a good soldier not entangling themselves with the affairs of this life. Hey, a good soldier will wisely set up boundaries so they don't have to worry about those things that God hates. About those things that they are so close to the line on this boundary that it's really not helping them in this sin area, but maybe if I moved it over here, that's really going to help me. I'm going to keep that boundary now. Whatever it might be, there's safety in that. So those are the reasons for boundaries. So what should our response be to boundaries? The right boundaries in particular, but any boundaries. Submissiveness will lead to obedience in those boundaries. There are boundaries in life, and I do believe that the right boundaries can be backed up and should be told the reasons why to the people that have to keep those boundaries. But the fact of the matter is, when you are under those boundaries, that's not your concern. If God has put leadership in your life, and he's asked you to be submissive to that leadership, and that leadership puts boundaries, it doesn't matter if you understand why. The submissive, obedient thing to do is to stay within those boundaries. 
And then focusing on the main goal of the Christian life will help us keep our focus on God and not on the limitations and the boundaries around us. So what can we apply in our lives? How can we apply it? Well, I hope this is an encouragement, but also a challenge to look at boundaries a little bit differently. When we hear the word boundary, I'm not saying that they may not be frustrating because you don't understand the reasons why, but I am saying this. Even if you don't understand the reasons why, you can still be submissive and obedient to that. And when we have our focus in the right place, on the right goal, those boundaries are really the least of our concern. But it is wise to make those boundaries so that we can have safety, so that we can have direction, so that we can put things in our life that will help us have victory over sin. So maybe tonight what we can pull from this is just to have a different outlook on boundaries. Maybe you have boundaries you have to abide by. Maybe our spirit towards those boundaries needs to be a spirit of submission and focusing on the main goal in life. Or maybe what we can take from this is if you are in a position to lead your family or, or lead other people, a group, whatever it might be, to prayerfully consider the right biblical boundaries to help those underneath you succeed in that main purpose and goal as well. And I think that we would all agree those are all things that we should all desire and all strive to do in our lives. And so let's make those commitments and spend time on a daily basis praying for areas that we can improve on so that that main goal of glorifying God and serving Him can continue to go forward and we can lead others behind us to do so also. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. We do thank you for the purpose of right boundaries in our life and the safety that there is in that and how it helps us in life. We just pray that we would have a perspective that comes from the mind and the eyes of you when it comes to boundaries, that we would have a heart of submission, a heart of love, not a heart of rebellion towards boundaries, and that when it comes to our own life, we would be so concerned about the main goal of glorifying you, that we have the liberty and the freedom to make our own boundaries to help accomplish that goal as well. Pray that you would be with the families and the people in leadership here in our body of believers at Eagle Heights. Help each one of us to, to have the wisdom and foresight and prudence to set the right biblical boundaries and guidelines as well to help those who are following our leadership. And we pray that as a result of this and these boundaries, these right boundaries and our view towards boundaries that we would glorify you ultimately and see ourselves grow in the knowledge of you and in love for you as well. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.